You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, this is Melinda Snodgrass. You're listening to Women at Warp. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today is Andy. Hi. And we're here to talk about Dragon Con. Which was awesome. Like, ludicrously awesome. The main content of the show today is the Women at Warp panel on the Trek Track from Dragon Con. Uh, but first, we should talk a little bit about the Parsec Awards. Yeah, we didn't win. <laughs> but it was still fun. <laughs> okay, so just as a background, we were nominated for Best New Podcaster slash Team, I think, or something like that. Is that our category? Yep. I can't remember. We lost, so who cares? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I don't mean that, but I do mean that. Um, no, we went and we were super excited to be there. It was a really cool show. Veronica Belmont was there, who I adore. And um, we also got to see the Double Clicks perform, which if you have never heard of them before, I'm sad for you. But basically, it was like an award show. Like they had categories and they had presenters and they had musical guest stars. It was pretty cool. Of course, we were also counting down the time until we had to leave for our panel, which was like halfway through the Parsec Awards. Yeah, our panel and the Parsecs definitely overlapped. But the cool thing about the Parsec Awards is that unlike a lot of other podcast awards, it's they're not a popularity contest. The Every nominee literally goes to a panel of judges who listen to the shows and they, they narrow it down to the finalists and then announce the winners every year at Dragon Con. So it is a, a judge award rather than a, a popularity award. And it's ridiculous, but it's a, or I should say it's a ridiculous thing to say, but it really is an honor to have been one of the finalists in that category. And also really cool that we got two great shout-outs from the presenters in our category. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, we were basically, and I feel bad, because anybody watching us would have thought that we were completely, like, bored or something, because we kept checking our, our watches and clocks and everything. Um, but they were really kind about our show, and that was really nice. And, um, you know... It really was amazing that they chose us to be a finalist. And I know that's super cliche, and I joked to Sue beforehand that we had to put together our, our happy loser face, like the Oscars, you know, you like smile and clap and like pretend you're okay with it. But we were really okay with it. Um, we were just super excited to be there at all. Of course, then once they announced that we, you know, our category, we literally got up and just like jumped up and ran out of there. So they probably think that we're super sore losers. <laughs> hey, we stayed and applauded the actual winner and their speech. Yes, we did. And then we ran away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that didn't have anything to do with them. To the room full of people waiting to hear us talk on the truck track, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was definitely the highlight of the weekend for me. Um, first of all, I was super excited that the track track was willing to give us a, a, a panel in the first place. And then it was just amazing that the panel was full, like that we had a full audience. And then when we asked for how many people actually listened to our show, there were a fair amount of people there. And that was 
surreal and awesome. It was a really great room, and I talked to the assistant director of the track the following day on Monday morning, and he already said that he wants us back for next year. Yay! So look for that. Um, yeah, so joining us on, on the panel at DragonCon, because it's not just the two of us, and Grace and Jara couldn't make it, were uh, Carol Underwood, who was on the staff at Trek Track. She's sort of there as a track representative um, and introduces everybody, but she doesn't join in and talk too much. And then there was Moxie Ann Magnus, who is, I guess, cosmetologist to the Starship Enterprise. That's the character. Look, y'all, she looked awesome. <laughs> and Hannah Hoyt who had just won the Miss Star Trek Universe pageant at DragonCon, and she was an opera-singing Klingon. She looked awesome. Um, Sue and I were totally outclassed at our own panel when it came to costumes, because we were both rocking Doctor Who. And then, you know, Moxie had Rand hair, and um, Hannah was wearing this amazing Klingon costume. And then Carol was wearing a really cool Star Trek uniform. And then I'm wearing a TARDIS dress and Sue's dressed like Donna Noble. So we were totally rocking Doctor Who fandom at our Trek panel. Hey, it happens. That's what Dragon Con's for. It happens. <laughs> but there wasn't really a topic to the panel. It's kind of free-flowing, basically what the audience wanted to talk about. Uh, so it went a lot of different places, and I think it was really fun. Yeah, it was great. And, um... I have to say that the uh, crowd that that was there was super impressive. Their questions were amazing, and you know it's it's hard to convey through audio, but it was it really felt like even though there were a lot of people there, it really felt like and kind of an intimate conversation. It was great. So it is a live recording of a panel room. Uh, we did our best to clean it up and level the audio, but some parts might be a little bit softer than others. We did our best, and I hope you can hear it all. So here's the panel. Incoming transmission. We can go ahead and get started, 7 o'clock. Welcome, everybody, to uh, the Women at Work panel. Um, my name is Carol, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce these lovely people, and then uh, we can begin. Uh, this is lovely Moxie. Hi. And this is our new Miss Star Trek universe, mm -hmm. Nora. Um, this lovely lady is Andy. And, <laughs> and the lovely lady on the far end is Sue. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the podcast that you run? Sure. So Women at Warp is the, the name of our podcast. Uh, can I... Um, Ask the room, have any of you listened to us before? Do you, have you know who we're recording oh, wow. here? Great. And wow. the rest That's of exciting. you, are you here because, yay ladies, are you here because this is one of only six things that come up in the app when you search feminism? Are you here because you come to everything Star Trek? What All of the above. All oh, right. <laughs> awesome. So the idea for our show is actually Andy's, so I'll let her talk about it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Sue. You're welcome. Um, basically... I started doing a, a live tweet of my first time through Star Trek. So, oddly, I have a Star Trek podcast, and I haven't seen all of Star Trek yet. Um, I'm in the second season of DS9, if anyone's interested in that. It's under a Twitter feed called First Time Trek. And I did not think anyone would care at all. And then people started asking me to be on podcasts, and I was like, somebody wants to hear me talk? Cool. And I would go and do those. 
and I started to notice that there were a handful of awesome ladies talking Star Trek, like this one here, um, but there wasn't really a podcast just devoted to women in Star Trek, which I thought was a b sad, because I feel like women have a lot to say about it, and we're a big part of this fandom, and I wanted to see more of that, and also I wanted to talk to Sue all the time. <laughs> so I uh, reached out to Sue, and our other co-hosts are Jarrah Hodge and uh, Grace Moore, and we put together a podcast, and here we are. Uh, it seems to have become a thing. <laughs> Didn't think it would be a yeah, thing. Yeah, we launched in March, so we're just over six months old. And we have a thousand likes on Facebook. Does that happen? Ooh. We yeah. were a finalist for the Parsec Awards, which we just lost. Yeah, we okay. literally <laughs> lost the Parsec Award and then ran here. Um, <laughs> so we're like, you lose. And we're like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming to a room full of people who want to hear us talk. So we win, right? <laughs> Um, so that was actually amazing for us, um, and the Facebook thing, I hate Facebook, by the way, but um, we actually snagged the, um, the name Women at Work from Facebook, but did not intend to launch it until we actually, you know, had a podcast. And people started liking it and asking us when our podcast was coming out. We were like, wait a second, maybe we should pitch some pictures up here. And like, so, we weren't going to start till May, and we started in mid March because so many people randomly found the Facebook page and liked it. So uh, that's when we realized that maybe there was a need that we were filling because we hadn't even done a podcast yet. And we're like, um, <clears throat> when, when's the pod? We need the podcast. <laughs> like, we haven't made it yet. <laughs> Calm down. Um, so we launched it early. And uh, it's been amazing, an amazing, amazing time. And uh, we really have a lot of fun with it. And we're excited to be here to be able to just talk about women in Star Trek in general. Yeah. And, um, and thanks to Julio for letting us come on the track and do that. Yes. So um, we want, we talked about it, we kind of want the, the panel to be really a discussion about the ladies of Star Trek and representations, et cetera. But before we go there, how about we go through the panel about some of your favorite ladies in the Trekverse? Ooh, um. I would say Dr. Crusher. I've always admired her as being a doctor instead of just some kind of romantic interest, but she's got her own fire and power, so I love her very much. You just made Sue so happy. Yeah. Bee Crush is my girl. <laughs> well, I'm of course old school, and it would, would have to be Uhura, who is just, I mean, that's, that's where it all started in so many ways, and just, um, I wanted to grow up to be a whore, and this is as close as I can get, I guess. <laughs> well, you could just, it's, well, Michael Jackson White from Black to White, I'm sure you could manage. <laughs> I don't know about that. You have the hair. Okay, so you get the hair. Oh sure my gosh, I just noticed hair. your hair. <laughs> like, That's I mean, the first know. time I've ever heard that. <laughs> I, I was actually noticing your awesome makeup first. Oh, well, so, thank you. Well, I mean, Uhura rocks the cat eye. Yeah, so I, I'm seeing a little, maybe a little bit of Rand and Uhura there. <laughs> yes, well, my favorite, um, I've gone through several. When I was younger, I really just loved Kess because she was really sweet. And you can be a really strong female character without being a strong woman. And... Um, I know that's that's missing in a lot of stories. Um, right now, I just I really love Captain Janeway 
Um, her strength as a leader really inspired me, especially you know, being in college, um, doing any kind of major that is hard and involves any kind of you know math or like hard thinking or whatever. Like I was doing film scoring, so a lot of technical things and musical and composition. And so I, I taped a picture of Janeway. <laughs> Um, on my wall so I could wake up and whenever I thought I couldn't do something, you know, I'm like, well, she got through the academy. I can imagine her cheering me on, so, <laughs> so yeah, she's really inspires me. <laughs> I actually, as I said, haven't seen all of Star Trek yet, so I am very much looking forward to getting to Janeway. I love Kate Mulgrew in general, so I'm super excited to see a lady captain. Um, when we first launched our podcast, I hadn't seen DS9 yet. So my answer at that time was Guinan. I really loved oh, Guinan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just beautiful and mysterious and always there with a wise word. I, I just loved her, and I really loved her and Picard's relationship. Okay. And now that I've gotten to DS9, I am a Kira girl. Um, <laughs> I, I pretty much loved her the second she came on screen and was like, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, don't ask. And just, <laughs> I just love that. It's so rare that you get to see... Um, just a really, I won't even want to use the word aggressive, but aggressive um, character that, you know, they don't try and tear down. They let her be who she is and they support her. And, I, and I've only seen um, through halfway through the second season, but already the way that her and Cisco interact has really impressed me because you get to see a man who's not intimidated by a strong woman who lifts her up instead of trying to tear her down. Um, but doesn't patronize her in in the process. Really, just supports her, and so Kira, woo, and also Cisco, woo. <laughs> yeah, the Crusher has been my favorite since 1987, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, but really, any any time you get a, a snarky scientist lady who's not going to take anybody's crap, that's that's the character I was drawn to. So Jadzia, who I got to be on a, a panel with Terry Farrell yesterday. She flipped out. <laughs> She hugged me and gave me a high five. It was amazing, and then I cried. I started getting texts. It was just like, ah! As long as you didn't pee yourself. No, we, we came close. Um, but, and, then, and then Janeway and Torres, and any time that, especially Janeway and Torres, I think were the ones who influenced me in my own education, because Voyager, for me, came on the air around the time you know, I was like 13 or 14. It's around the time that girls leave STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, in case that acronym is unknown to anybody. But I think seeing these two women solve scientific problems together every week gave me, unknowingly at the time, the encouragement to stay in that field. And now I have a degree in mathematics. So. Which I don't <laughs> understand at all. I do podcasts and she'll say things and I'll be like, science? <laughs> so we want to know what you guys want to talk about. Anybody? Topics? Questions? Yeah, so like, for me, like when you talk about your favorite, I mean, I also love Kira a lot, but I also actually like Deanna Joy a lot. And so maybe you can comment on the evolution, because in the beginning, I didn't like her because I felt like she was a cop. They were trying to copy the Decker and the Leia relationship with her and Will, and I felt like in the beginning it was clear she was sort of eye candy and was only, you know, talking about, oh, I sense this, but I feel like her character evolved a lot, so toward the end you did see these strong characteristics, 
and you saw a woman who took what her, were her strengths and talents and learned how to use them. So if you guys want to comment on that. Absolutely. Um, we're definitely going to do a Troya episode because there's so much to talk about there, both good and bad, um, especially in the beginning. I mean, the first season alone, Marina Sirtis will straight up tell you, like, they gave her nothing. Yeah. And she's such a talented actress, and Troy had such an interesting presence on the bridge that they just did not utilize. Um, and it was actually not until the second season episode, The Child, which is my least favorite TNG episode, by the way. <laughs> but... Marina Sirtis recently did an interview where she actually says, the child was my turning point. The child is the time when they finally gave me something to do and something to act. And she really took hold of that. And that gives me a different perspective on that episode, but I still hate it because <laughs> it really goes to what they did to Troy far too often, which is use her as a, a character that gets violated constantly. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so when it comes to Troy, we're going to be talking about her as a character, and she's also going to come up a lot when we when we finally tackle rape in, in Star Trek and, and how it's been portrayed, the good and the bad. So... I like Troy. Some of the strongest episodes in TNG are Troy-centered. Dark Page is an episode that's about two female characters and their relationship, which we rarely get. And then one of our favorite, favorite episodes that we did a whole, whole podcast on Romulan women because of Face of the Enemy and how much we love that episode. By far the best Troy episode and a good example of what a waste. They were. <laughs> she had the talent, and Marina Sirtis had the talent, and sadly we didn't get as much of Troy as I would have liked. Anybody else want to talk about Troy? Troy comments? Mm. Um, I don't know who she is. I'm <laughs> I think, sorry, I think they had a really interesting opportunity with Troy to really explore mental health on, on the Enterprise. Um, on this continuing mission where they they don't go home, you know, yeah. and they, but there was also Gene Roddenberry felt that by the, the 24th century that mental health problems would be fixed. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of nice to think that like they'll be treated better by then, but you still had a counselor on the ship and then you rarely ever used her in her professional capacity. Yeah. And that, that could have been so interesting, examining the psychological <clears throat> aspects of a trip like that. Because I know even with our short-term missions, that's something that NASA has always been really, really interested in. So Get it? Yes. Um, first, I want to say congratulations for having a degree in mathematics. Oh, thank um, you. I also have a degree in mathematics that I tutor on the side. and. Um, one thing I try to do is always try to push young girls towards mathematics because, uh, again, like I said, STEM programs are lacking in female representation. And I, I'd like to see more of that instead of just a male-dominated field where we, I mean, for lack of a better term, push them out early so that they feel like they can do it. Uh, secondly, um, about the end of Troy and Star Trek The Next Generation is probably by far my favorite of all the Star Trek series. Um, I pretty much tell you every single episode like the back of my hand if I see the first five minutes. Um, I do understand your points about Troy, and I did not like the character in the beginning myself because I felt like she was the typical female trope. And yes, they did far too much negative to her throughout the series. Um, she, uh, there were, what, two or three instances throughout the series and the movies themselves in which she experienced some form of assault or rape. Um, I thought it was completely unnecessary and almost did nothing for the story advancing her character in any way, shape, or form. My favorite episode was when um, she was going through her um, 
She went through her training to become a senior officer on the bridge mm -hmm. as a commander, and she had to make the hard decision in the holodeck trying to figure out how to solve this problem. It's the only thing she couldn't navigate her mind around because she values every, everyone's life on the ship. She doesn't want to put, you know, put anyone in peril. And, you know, it was, you know, when we arrived, I told her my first duty is to the ship, not to the crew. You know, I have to make sure that this ship gets through whatever, you know, we get into. And her having to realize that she had to send Jordy to his death in the simulation for them to get out of the, the problem that was created. Um, so I, I felt, for me, that was her turning point as far as becoming more of a positive female role model on the show and having more to do throughout. Um, the only other thing I didn't like that they did with her was the way her mother always interacted with, when are you going to find a husband? I'm like, can't she be more than this? I mean, she, she's an officer on the bridge. I mean, I kind of like her, you know, her response to that, too, where it was an obvious annoying thing where it's, where it's like, Mom, I work on a starship. I have a job. I like my life. And she, I get don't married. need a husband. Yeah. But I think this says a lot about the time that it came out. Yeah. When it came out, there there was still this expectation as a woman that's sort of what you did. You, you know, you went to college to get your MRS or things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. So I think now that you don't see that as much as the case, I think there is a change there. Star Trek has always been interesting in that it portrays the future while being written and produced in our very flawed times. So TOS is a good example of that as well, in that they were looking forward but still burdened by expectations from the network and sensors and stuff like that. So you see something like that too, where you know we actually have in TOS, there's a line from McCoy that's like, as soon as she gets married, she'll be out of Starfleet. Yeah. It's too bad. You know, um, she's so a good officer. It's too bad she's a woman. You know, so um, that's that's a disconnect that we have in science fiction sometimes, and one reason why, even though you know we're 50 years on from TOS, there's still there's still stuff to find there because you know we get to see kind of a time capsule of what people in the 60s were looking forward to in the future, and um, you know what they valued. So as a time capsule, I love it so much. Yeah, I, I think one of the interesting things about that to me is it's kind of like thinking about the United States Constitution. Mm -hmm. The ideals of Star Trek that were sort of the foundation for the show, the, the infinite, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, that ideal that sort of pervades the Star Trek universe, even though it's not necessarily always realized that, that we're, we're looking at it through the, the lens of our time. But that ideal is there, and striving to, to, to be better and to be more inclusive is, is such a, a noble goal. Absolutely, so. and I think it's the heart of all of Star Trek, yeah. mm -hmm. is that striving. Yeah. I totally agree with what Belle just said, but I just want to take a teensy step back to Troy for just a second, because for me, like, of course now that I'm like an adult, I know what was wrong with you know, Troy's character and the storylines they gave her and stuff like that. But for me as a kid growing up, like all of Star Trek was a rerun for me. I missed everything except for Enterprise, but I was a kid then and you don't even really care. It's okay, that, don't so. worry about it. <laughs> and so I was watching reruns and for me watching The Next Generation, I know that I've always been a really emotional person. And it was sort of telegraphed to me very early on that if you want to be taken seriously, you're already down one because you're a woman. You better not be emotional, mm -hmm. or you better not show it at the very least. You know, you know. And so the idea, for me at least, that your emotions can not only be okay, but even be useful, 
was really, really powerful for me. The idea that my picking up on other people's emotions could be useful in some way. You know, and obviously she's an empath, so it's not, she's not human, but as a human, it definitely had an effect on me seeing someone who was, you know, praised in, in some way for being emotional and using her emotions to benefit everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, Troy is basically a celebration of empathy like our human version of empathy, not, you know, Star Trek empath, um, but also traditional femininity, which has a place. I mean, there are numerous, numerous, numerous ways to be feminine, and um, you can portray someone as, as some of those you know, traditionally feminine qualities in an excellent way and celebrate that without, you know, taking a step back for women at all. And I just wish that, you know, that uh, part of the problem with Troy too is just consistency. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I mean, you could see some of that come through when she was given uh, good stuff by good writers. So I love Troy. Let's yeah. go here and then on the in the back. So here first. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if any of you were at the Measure the Man panel uh, this morning with Melinda Snodgrass, who was a, stor- a script writer and story editor on seasons two and three. One of the questions, actually, I, I had asked her was about you know the treatment of Troy and women in general. And actually, I come in, you know, the judge in that episode was actually probably the toughest woman we saw for the first two years. And she pointed out that at, for most of the time she was on the show, she was the only woman in the room. And so there just wasn't that voice there. And it's interesting because if you ever saw a presentation Kate Mulgrew did, I believe it was at a Canadian con, she talked about how they still, even when they were casting her for Janeway, weren't sure they were going with a woman. They kept a couple guys in reserve just in case. So it seems like it's more just the people behind the scenes who are making most of the decisions on this. And I guess, particularly since you've got a podcast going, what advice would you give to people? to get more voices in, in, in this discussion, because I think that's the first step, is we've got to have more voices. Speak up. Yeah. Um, uh, like writers tell you, if you want to be a writer, start writing. If you want your voice to be heard, start talking. You know, that's what we did. <laughs> and now you can't get us to stop. Yeah. Um, we, you weren't at the, the Snods panel, right? OK, first of all, let's take a moment and say that we love Melinda Snodgrass. And we actually got to go together yeah. to a reading of some of her, because she writes sci-fi novels now. And I read one, and it's great. Um, so check that out. And it was a, a small little room. And the two of us, well, Sue was cool. I was a total fangirl. And I was like, <laughs> um, one of our co-hosts Grace at one point when we were talking about the snod. She calls her the snod and we're like, we're not going to tell her that we call her that. <laughs> and then it turns out, Sue texts me. I was here at the off the Star Trek authors <laughs> panel and, and she said that George R.R. calls her snod. snod. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we, we after her reading, we actually spoke to her a little bit about Star Trek and basically had that same conversation. And she offered to come on the show. So hopefully we'll have a more in-depth interview with her in the future. We tweaked everything she said, and, um, and I giggled a lot. So we got a chance to ask her some of those very questions, and unfortunately, she didn't have a, a fun behind the experience, the scenes experience uh, with that. And she was really sad with the way some of her further episodes were rewritten, things were taken out. I asked her. And one of the reasons, by the way, why Guinan is my favorite character from TNG is because uh, Measure of a Man is my favorite episode. And the scene between Picard and Guinan is my favorite scene. Um, and I, so she was right there in front of me. And I was like, 
and I asked her, you know, did they change anything? She goes, they didn't touch measure. They didn't, they didn't change a word in that. And um, I think that shows. Yeah. Also, as a fun fact, she was apparently writing it as a trilogy. She wanted to write a data trilogy. Ensigns of Command was supposed to be the second one, heavily rewritten. She basically wanted to take her name off it like she was DC Fontana. Um, and then she was going to do a third episode where um, Data decides to plan and then execute a murder. She found it very interesting and wanted to go through that. So sadly, because of all of the turnover for first and second season, writers, we never got to see the end of her data trilogy. I would have loved that. But her version of Ensigns of Command is up on her website. Yeah, she goes, check out the website. I pulled Harlan Ellison. <laughs> <laughs> she is awesome, guys. <laughs> there was a question in the back. Going off of what you guys talked about with Troy and seeing for the first time the value, seeing value in women and their emotions, I think a great dynamic is her mother, Luangsana, because she's the very opposite personality. She is huge, she's dynamic, she's dramatic, and you see that even though they have the same kind of values and the same expectations for themselves, you see it played out in these two very different personalities. Loxana, um, I think, sometimes gets a bad rap, uh, and Majel is amazing. Um, but yes, she's very focused on relationships, but she's not defined by them. And uh, she's not going to, especially when she thinks she's going to get married, right, in that one episode. And she's yeah. like, you want me to do what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that it's, yeah, it's interesting. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing um, that we have her being focused on relationships. Because some people like to be in relationships and some people don't. And I think there is, as you were saying, there is value in, in seeing her daughter come back and say, that's not what I'm interested in right now. You go do your thing and let me do my thing. You know, it's not Star Trek, but Amy Poehler says, good for you, not for me. Uh, yeah, as soon as I'm done with DS9, we're definitely doing a Luxana episode because I have so much to say about her. Um, I actually just saw her first DS9 episode with her and Odo, and I thought that was one of the best things I've ever seen with Luxwana, so I'm really excited to move forward with that, but um, I love her. I love how she walks into a room and dominates it. I love how she takes no crap from anyone, and I love how she does whatever she wants, and she is her 100%, 110% of the time, and uh, I think that's valuable and awesome. Plus, when Fringy hits hit on her, uh, that speech she does where she's like, how dare you? I love that speech. I, I, I wish I could use that in my everyday life. I wish I was a daughter of the fifth house. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, yes, she might. She she's going after relationships, but you also have to remember that she's an empath, and relationships are built on emotion. So this is her her being herself. Not only that, it's also very nice to see an older woman um, yeah. uh, portrayed as still, you know, sexually desirable and still having sexual desire. Um, that is super rare. Nichelle Nichols is another great example of that. And Star Trek V has some problems. <laughs> but... You're kidding me. Yeah, I know, right? 
Personally, I told Sue this and she was like, no. I was like, if they had just stayed camping the whole time, I would have been just like watching camp. But just they, hand me a marshmallow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like yeah. whiskey beans and uh, singing row, 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 row. I would have watched two hours out of that. Um, but there is the scene where Michelle Nichols dances. And I have issues with that scene, but she loved doing it. And it, it Hora's still mad sexy, and they let her be sexy, and that is awesome because, unfortunately, in Hollywood and in our society, there's like a cutoff date for women, yeah. and um, not cool, guys. So uh, it's it's cool to see Luxana be so unabashed um, in her sexuality and her her love for men folk. I like it. You guys, anything? Um, you know, this is a little off topic, but I, I have a, a pet theory that, that Nurse Chapel is the Clara Oswald of, of Star Trek. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> she's just sprinkled throughout all yeah, of yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. Everywhere. Well, she's the voice of the computer. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly, there's some issues in the next gen with the consistency of this concept, but I always thought that Troy and Riker's relationship was really interesting for something on network television because their relationship is kind of essentially polyamorous and that they explore that in some episodes and then others fall into tropes of like traditional relationship mechanics but I think that there's a certainly at least a half dozen episodes that explore that idea. How did, did you feel that was executed well or was it important? Sometimes, um, but I agree with you that I like seeing a, a, a non-monogamous relationship portrayed well. Um, I like, and I like this in Picard and Crusher too. So probably is sad. Big Picard Crusher shipper over here. That's all I was paying attention to. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was cool to me that they could both pursue romantic relationships and still remain friends. Um, and I think that that's really cool because there are a lot of different ways to have a romantic connection, and there are lots of different ways to, to have, pursue love. Um, and so I actually really enjoy their relationship and I actually really love Riker and Troy together because I love Kirk, straight up, I love Kirk. Um, and he kind of represented this uh, masculinity. And then when we go to Next Generation, you could kind of see them bringing that masculinity forward with Riker. But he portrayed such a thoughtful version of that, non-toxic masculinity that I thought was awesome. Um, and every once in a while, they'd make a misstep, and he'd say some stuff that I was like, no. <laughs> but that is cool to me, to be able to see a, a very feminine character and a very masculine character bounce off each other like that, and they smolder real well. So I think that um, they do it better sometimes than others. I think that seventh season thing where they added Worf into the equation. Yeah. Whether or not you think it makes sense, because there are arguments on either side, like to me, in my head, it was clearly done to set up all good things um, and, and the, the falling out between those characters. But it doesn't make sense because of the relationship we know between Troy and Riker. Like if she had made the choice to be with Worf, Riker would have been okay with that because that was their relationship. That yeah. that rift, yeah. that is out of character. Yeah, yeah that was so. That, that was, was one so of the times that it didn't work so well, in my opinion. <laughs> was there? I saw hands up. Yeah. Kirk, uh, you mentioned one of my wife and I have favorite characters, the, the short lived Tasha Yar. Yeah. Um, she, what happened to her? <laughs> 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 she, 
they, I think they, they didn't know what to do with her, and that frustrated um, Denise Crosby, I think. And, she was, and, and I think she was like, you, you guys aren't using me. Yeah, yeah. she was. You, I'm going. They, they set up this really, really uh, Kira-like. I th- yeah. She's like a precursor to Kira, right? This really aggressive woman who has been through a whole heck of a lot once you, you don't learn it right away, but you find out later what she's been through. And it's like immediately in the second episode, they take it back when she goes and raids Troy's closet. Like, I never had feminine things and I'm not a woman because I'm not feminine. And that is so harmful because the problem is not soft, flowy, feminine things. The problem is the lack of choice. And if you don't like soft, flowy, feminine things, that doesn't make you any less of a woman. That just makes you a different kind of woman. And so they they didn't know what to do with her. She got frustrated and she pieced out, basically, as far as as I'm aware. Yeah. No, Goo Monster got her. Well, (laughs) and then there was Argus. (laughs) Uh, Yara's another character. To be fair, I keep saying we're going to do episodes. We're going to do episodes on every female character eventually. You should see our topic list. It's like miles and miles long. Um, Yar, goodness, Yar. I think what they were trying to do was basically like a Zoe Washburn from Firefly. They were trying to go with a warrior woman, which, woo, uh, that's awesome to see. But they were also afraid of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, like, so they, so they, weren't, they wouldn't it, commit. Yeah, exactly. Commit. So they, they would undercut their own characterization. When you're undercutting your own characterization, that means it's not consistent. The audience has nothing to hold on to. So uh, you know good characterization when you can say, Riker wouldn't do that. When you can think of a hypothetical hypothetical situation and go, that's how Picard would handle that. That means you know that character. When you ask somebody, hey, what would Yar do in that situation? It's like, uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like, to be fair, she had like she left so early on that she could have become something that we really would want to see. Like, yeah, like I like before she left, I was sort of semi attached to her, but. The yeah. inconsistencies that you that was that they were dealing with with her character was sort of like I'm not ready to fully commit to you because you're not fully committing to yourself. When I was first time trekking it, um, I didn't know it was coming. Okay, a goo monster came out of nowhere, um, and I was like, wait. What just happened? <laughs> um, whenever I'm first time tracking and, and something big is about to happen, uh, all my followers are like, <laughs> um, And I was like, did Tasha Yar just get eaten by a goo monster? Like, what just happened? Um, and That's I felt the same way where I was ever. like, I wanted to like her. I was interested in her character. I wanted to see where they were going to go with her. And then, and we get a sense of who she could have been in Yesterday's Enterprise. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what that character could have done under good writing. Um, so, do you have more to say on your? No. No, oh, that's, <laughs> that's about that's, it. There's a hand up over there. Okay, let's go. Yep. Yeah, uh, I want to say about, I, have, I read some things about um, Denise Crosby and what she said about Tanakashi Yar. And it was at the time, in the first season, you know, we didn't know any of this would come out of it, um, coming off of the original series where it was really about McCoy, Spock, Kirk, Trinity. She was told, like she said, are you going to do anything more with me? And she was told by the writers, no, no, this is the Picard Riker data show. It's just about those three. You're basically, you know, you're Uhura, you're uh, Chekhov, you're one of those you're set dressing. people. Yeah, you're flavor. So 
killing frequencies open. Not really having a character in mind for her, you know, just as sometimes uh, the secondaries on TOS could be a little inconsistent in what they liked and what they did. Yeah, I mean, TOS was in a time when they, they didn't have serialized storytelling in the same way. So basically they had their main characters and they had side characters that were just meant to say a line anyone could say, um, which is why I'm sad we didn't get so much of Uhura as I would have liked. Um, but I, th I think that's actually sort of the brilliance also of those original characters is because you could project so much onto them. That's true too. Because, because you weren't... I, I think with some of the characters in The Next Generation... It, it, it's difficult to have that same sort of projection to say, oh, that, that person is just like me. That's, mm -hmm. that's the everyman for, for me. Mm -hmm. I can, we can, all of us can be in space. All of us can be scientists. Mm -hmm. All of us can do everything. So I think that's almost part of the brilliance of the original yeah. series is that we had characters that you could be. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a totally different method of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. it really is. So right here. In uh, one of the episodes of Next Gen, um, that I don't remember the title, but um, I found it particularly annoying that uh, Troy loses her psychic capability, right? Uh, the loss. Uh, right, thanks. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, so, okay, um, in her going for her education and going to get her PhD, I'm assuming that at that point in the 24th century, that um, were, were, were there some guidelines that they had established for using your psychic abilities or, and when to use it and not use it because when she lost it, she lost it. And it's like, okay, yes, that, but Picard had to counsel her on uh, how you need to be understanding because she was getting really ticked off. It like she was so used to using her psych okay, but in the training to become a psychologist, wouldn't they have where whether you rely on it or not? Yep. You know, because that's ridiculous that I mean there will be circumstances what if if not it's completely gone, but there are other circumstances that you wouldn't she says there are races that they don't, they she can't right. read. I guess. Yeah. No, that's really kind of a, a harmful thing they did there. Because I mean, they could have done that episode with her having that loss and dealing with that without her then being terrible at her job because right. of it. You don't that was really, that, you know? really. Terrible. <laughs> Sue has lots of feelings on this. Um, when we were doing our Women in TNG episode and we had to do best and worst episode, this was her choice for worst because of this. Because Troy, we want to see Troy be competent, and unfortunately, there are a lot of times when they don't let her be competent. So. And they're they're basically outright telling you that the only reason she's ever any good at her job is because she's using her empathic abilities as a crutch, and that's. <laughs> Sue has feelings. <laughs> Was there anyone? I know. Okay, you've both talked before, so it doesn't matter. Let's go here. <laughs> so, in, on the subject of the loss, I think it's important to note that the reason she's experiencing that loss is a consequence of that two-dimensional being she's trying to empathize with. So, so, as a consequence, she becomes really polarized and really falls into these like false dichotomies of thinking as a reflection of that uh, kind of extreme limitation of her psyche. 
So I think her reactions in that scenario make sense given that kind of confusion. It wasn't solely loss of her abilities. It was that she was so immersed in a whole in a different species way of thinking, which only knew how to travel one direction or the other. Um, another thing I want to bring up though is Roe. We haven't yeah. yet to mention her. And I think Ensign Roe is another character that wasn't fully realized, but has a lot of really strong qualities and mm -hmm. kind of gets back to what Yar could have been in some ways yeah. as a, someone who, you know, lived on Beige Door and yes. all that. But do you guys feel that she was a failed character as a whole? Or has we did an entire episode on <laughs> Roe because we love Roe. Um, I think if you're if you're looking at it from a progression, it was like Yar, then Ro, then Kira. They were like tinkering with this kind of t character type, um, and Ro really established. She's in eight episodes. When we were doing our, I know. Oh when we were doing our our background and breaking our our Ro episode, we were like, wait a second, what? And she in has several of them, she's just like, yes, sir, I'll go do that. Like, she's not a part of the story at all. She made such an impact that it does not feel like she was in only eight episodes. It feels like she was a much bigger part of that crew. And that is a testament to how well they used her and, and how well you can use a, a character type like that. But even more than that, Rose's story, that first story when they go to that planet, that one episode is setting up your next two series. That's when we learn about the Cardassian-Bajoran conflict that all of DS9 is based on. And from Roe comes the Maquis that yeah. she decides to join, which is the beginning of Voyager. Don't listen, Andy. So. <laughs> because Balana even kind of came out of Roe, too, because yeah. they wanted that actress, like they wanted that character, and they couldn't get her, so they created Balana. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't censor yourself on my behalf, really don't. <laughs> if she doesn't understand it, she just forgets it. Yeah, I just filter so it. So she even, like, she influenced Kira, and she influenced Belana Torres as well. Mm -hmm. So Ro was really important not only to that crew, because we remember her so much, but she's kind of important to what then happened in Star Trek for the next 10, 15 years. <laughs> so, good on Michelle Forbes. Um, it was all the way in the back, was the next one? Um... Going off of what we were just talking about with Roe, but also to play devil's advocate for a second with Tasha and her feminist uh, side that we see in that one episode. <coughs> Being an adult and watching it now, I see like what we were talking about, how it's, it's wish-washy, they're not, you know, they're not fully realizing the character. But seeing it growing up, it was, to me, a chance for that person to explore something they never had growing up. With Roe, she never had a chance to be a little kid. And she, has an episode where she turns to the little kid mm -hmm. and she's fully realizing it. With Tasha, she always had to be strong. She always had to be uh, the toughest one to make it through. And so maybe she never had a chance, even though if she secretly desired it, she never really had a chance to explore that side of herself. I have no problem with her going and wanting to put on girly things. That's not my, my issue with that scene at all. My issue with that scene is that she said that she's not really a woman because she doesn't do that. That's the problem. I think that you could have gone some really interesting ways with that dichotomy you're mentioning. Um, how, you know, we're not one thing. Um, and if she was developed in a more real way, we could have seen more of the, that dichotomy. Yeah. Like, you know, people are sometimes portraying something and feeling something else. That could have been awesome. But unfortunately, they weren't willing to spend enough time on that character to let us see how these two sides of her could coincide. So we really just saw her doing one thing and then doing another thing and then doing a totally different thing and I, I was just confused. Um, so that's that's my issue with it as well because I mean sometimes I like to you know put on dresses and put on makeup 
and sometimes I like to, you know, lounge around in sweatpants. You know, we do all sorts of different things um, because we are human. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I have always been kind of disappointed about um, Shrek's lack of portrayal of LGBTQ and non-conforming characters, considering we're talking about a galaxy full of different species and it's the 24th century. I mean, you would think that there would be some characters. I mean, they touch on it a little bit, but it's always disappointing. So mm -hmm. I wonder if you can comment on that. Absolutely. That, I mean, <laughs> yes. You mean absolutely you agree. I, yes. yes. Um, I say this phrase a lot on, on the show. It's better in the books. <laughs> it really is. Because, well, and, and really because nobody is, there's no network, you know, overseeing them saying, no, you can't do that. Um, they, they have tried to do uh, some things to represent that without actually giving you a story within LGBTQIA+, is that all of them? <laughs> um, and, uh, but they, it's, it's still like an allegory, it's still a metaphor. Um, in the books, there is a whole, there's a, a whole sub-series about the, the Andorians and um, how their non-binary um, sexual characteristics, there are four genders of the Andorians, and they, they talk about their family unit and this fertility crisis, and there's this whole story about about solving that for this planet, and it's super interesting, and like that's something that they never would have put on TV because of the networks. There are also some some main characters that, that I think there's a, a gay commander on one of the ships. It's been a while since I've read one, but. What was that? His name is Commander Kiro. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, they. I, I want them to do better, and I want them to do it soon. Yeah, they're behind. Yeah, to be honest, um, there are many, many things that Star Trek does phenomenally and explores phenomenally. Um, this is not one of the areas that they are leaders, I would say, um, and so it's definitely something they need to correct in future properties, hopefully. And if we get a new Star Trek show, I will start <laughs> writing my letter writing campaign right away. Mm -hmm. Way in the back. Yeah, I, can oh, I, can I address yeah, no, that? Sorry. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, I, I, I again speak more from, from the original series, but I think there's a lot that's there about bodies, about entities outside of bodies, about mm -hmm. our, our outsides not matching our insides, about uh, gender swapping, gender <laughs> switching. Um, so I, I think there are things there that can be read in different ways. And I think if you come from certain populations, that again, you read things into what you see, you put yourself in, into those characters. So I think there's a lot of sort of interesting questioning there. But again, it's not dealt with It's not dealt directly. with directly. It's not no, dealt it, with directly. It's all sort of like you have to read into it rather than having yeah. it directly stated. But There's still, that, that message of infinite diversity and infinite yes. combination, I think, comes through. Even even though it's not directly dealt with, I think that the, it, it's the hope for the future. And again, for future series, we, we still harbor that. There's a lot of identifying with the outcast that, yeah. that happens yeah. in Star Trek. And I guess it just depends on what kind of outcast you, you think of yourself as. Maybe? Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of acceptance of very strange things and creatures and things without bodies and gaseous clouds and you know, all that too, so. Especially in the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really well stated, thank you. Um, let's go all the way in the back. Um, 
They, I think they did a good job touching, they didn't touch on it specifically. You know how the network is like really good about like, we can't do this and this and this, but Star Trek says we want to talk about this issue, and I think they did a good job of that in the Elfast. <coughs> because it, with the Janai, where they're only one gender, and when people that feel that they're um, one or another, male or female, they're like really criticized, and I think Anybody that felt outside of the mainstream in this society could relate to what's happening with the Janai. And you had a story about the outcast, didn't you? Yeah, um, I I agree with you. Just I mean, the outcast is amazing to me in a lot of ways. Um, First of all, I don't know exactly what that air date is, but that's basically an episode about being transgender, um, and they put it on early, which I think is phenomenal and amazing. We're on March '92. There you go, <laughs> 1992. Really? And I mean, 1992. Yeah, that's amazing. And then, um, I mean, I think that speech she has still resonates so well yes. today. <laughs> Um, there are problems with that episode, but that speech is perfection. Um, and actually, one of my favorite things about that is I was I was tweeting this episode, and I was like, you know what? They should have hired a male actor for uh, that role um, because that would really it just. Jonathan Frakes thought so. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, they definitely needed to get a, a male actor for that because that would really just bring that point home that gender, you know, gender is complicated. Um, and immediately got so many tweets. Jonathan Frakes really wanted to do that. I'm like, bless Jonathan Frakes. Um, he was like, give me a dude to kiss. I'll do it. I love it. Um, and that's just one reason why I love him so much. He understands storytelling and. He was willing to take that theme even further, and they they wouldn't let him do it. The yes. network. Yes. Yeah. No. Can we ever get the suits out of our art? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's right here? Yeah, yep. Uh, don't forget the episode of the Trill Transplant with Dr. Crusher. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have, I have thoughts on this. Um. It's a very small, but it does touch on it briefly. And yeah. At what the time it was. The, the actual thing she says, I'm not sure if this is exactly right, but she says, you know, maybe someday our love won't be so limited. And she claims that the problem with, like, I don't want to continue this relationship with you is because she can't get used to the change. She can't handle, like, the, the, the physical body she's loving all the time, the possibility of that changing. Those that are, was the symbiosis commission. Yeah. No, yeah. Was Right, yeah. You're now this different physical person, and I'm not sure I can handle that. Yeah. Like the person that I see in front of me that I touch is is going is different and could change again, and I can't handle the constant change. And I want to take that at face value and say that for that character, okay, I want to believe that, but I I. And I choose to believe in my fan fiction writing head as a, as a you know, teenager that there was one last goodbye. <laughs> you know, because, because if she can do it with Riker. <laughs> I think the trill in general is, it, it, I mean, I'm just starting to get into the DS9 version of the trill, which is super interesting. But when I first saw the, the trill portrayed, I was like, this is an allegory. I like it. I like allegories. 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip over to DS, uh, I'm sorry, Voyager for a minute. Um, Milana Torres, there's one episode that I feel like kind of missed me when I was trying to understand exactly what's going on in this episode where Belana Torres, I think she's stranded on a planet and for some reason she, her body is split into two. Yes. yes. All human and all mm -hmm. Klingon and the conflict, they go back and forth. Could you like touch on that as far as like how you felt what your insight wasn't up? Because I feel like I missed something watching that. It's been a while since I watched it. Anybody mm -hmm. I haven't recently? seen it at all. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen yeah, it recently. Well, I think the point of it was, it, you know, uh, Belana is a lot like Spock. She's half human, half this other race, and the two races are very different. So to me, uh, the real point of the episode was Belana trying to come to terms with the fact that she is this unique person that is half Klingon and half human. And I think what she saw was she saw this weakness in herself was because she was human, and she sort of wanted to be more Klingon, but I felt like after that episode she realized that she is this true melding of these two races. Yeah, she was Voyager. She doesn't like her Klingon half. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah she even she says even at the end at the end of that episode, she's like, wow, like I still kind of like needed her to survive, and she like used the Klingon as like this kind of like this I don't know thing that's haunting her. And in reality, I'm like, you know, Balana, you were split into two people. You're both Balana. You know, you were just yeah. You're you're it's equal. And um, I feel like I'm not sure if either. The show was was trying to say that the one that the human was the real Balana, or if that was just what Balana came away with. But I feel like that really was what she was coming away with by the end of that. Was she's like, oh well, I'm still not really the Klingon. Like this Klingon is still just a thing that that annoys me that I have to put up with things. So yeah, I do think it's unfortunate that they didn't let her continue on that path because you know then when her and Tom have the baby, she tries to alter the yeah. DNA of the baby. Doesn't want the baby to visually look like it's going on. Yeah, it's so a, to me that was actually a more interesting thing on what we say is beauty and what we say is the norm. Well, it's also kind of a story of self-hatred, yeah. right? Yes. And um, it, I think it would have been, could have been a lot more powerful for Balana if, even if it was an ongoing story of her coming to terms with that and like using this Klingon side of her to 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 become a. a fuller, more rounded person. Yeah, and I feel like um, in, in the books then there are, are some storylines where she really embraces her Klingon self more. It just took a long time <laughs> to get to that point, but... Yes, sir. So, what, and spoilers for you, so... <laughs> um, so, in Deep Space Nine, one of my favorite characters of all time is Jessica. And I thought they had finally got a female character who is both a competent professional and can have a romance, and you know she doesn't have to be torn between one or the other. And then season seven happens, and she turns into what I call the the crying wimpy version of Dax. Um, what were your thoughts of the evolution of that character? What were you? I mean, what, did you have any feelings on that topic? You mean when she when she became Ezri? Yeah. Um, it was disappointing. You know, I think that it, it's disappointing going, re replacing a character like Jadzia with a character like Esri. However, I think the concept of the story where you, you are dealing with a really young woman who probably doesn't even know herself yet without a symbiont is now trying to figure out who she is with a symbiont and figure out all of these past memories that it has. That's a really compelling story, and I think they just didn't 
do it well because DS9 had all this other stuff going on. You know, I, I try. You want to be a, tr a joint show to begin with. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 I was just disappointed. Yeah, it was it was <coughs> disappointing that we we lost Jedzia. I I hate to say that I'm disappointed in Esri because I think there was some some good things there and some good things came from that. Um, but one of the bad things was trying to watch her flirt with Bashir. That was just painful. <laughs> <laughs> that was painful and bad. <laughs> yeah, Esri, anybody? Say what does that say about it? You know, one of the things I struggle with is you know I'm a, I I chose to have a career and not have children. And I know other women who don't understand my choice. Um, and so there's a part of me that's like, well, I don't understand your choice that you can stay home and have kids. But the reality is, I mean, if really if we're about feminism or about supporting women, every woman should make their choice and be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think, I understand that because we have so many tropes of women who are weak and subservient that we, we backlash against that. But the reality is we need to come to a point where we say, if this is who the person is, this is who they are. Yeah. We shouldn't put our own judgments on that. And so, you know, I sort of didn't like Esri for a long time, but then I realized that that's not fair for me to make that judgment on her because that's who she, that's the person that she was. And, you know, I don't think there yeah. are, I don't think there's one that we should judge anymore. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm disappointed that we lost Jadzia. I, I try not to be disappointed in Esri. The uh, hard part with her is that they also make her not competent. Mm -hmm. That's that's the the hard thing. Right, but she's she's if she's being assigned to Deep Space Nine, she should be competent at her job. You know, <laughs> it would be nice if they were able to be characters and not have to um, bear the this huge bridle of like being a woman character, and they're you know you have to deal with tropes and everything and. If it's a male character, you know, they can be whoever they are and it could be, you know, like one type of femininity or another, you know, like if it was a male character, they can be someone and it would be completely fine and you aren't um, taking this whole, um, just this whole history of, you know, women in, in TV or in Star Trek and what that looks like and putting it onto them. Well, that's the problem. We have few representations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we only have about four minutes left. So I'm going to go right here to the person who has not spoken yet. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, so I was just thinking about the, the comment that you made of not deciding not to have children and, you know, sort of getting back to the things that I've been in the realm that I've decided to do, sort of put my career aside and having sort of the opposite effect. Maybe like, what the hell do you want? Can you speak up just a little, please? Sorry. Thank um, you. The opposite of sort of what she was saying about deciding not to have children and sort of having judgment about who you are and what you're supposed to be. I said I kind of feel like the opposite of that of deciding to have children sort of step back from my career and having lots of friends and people looking like, well, what did you go to law school for? <laughs> you know, you're not using that. Um, and being, I don't know, sort of annoyed with this this attitude that I see just sometimes with panels such as these, and please don't take it personally, that sort of every character on the screen is supposed to be this representation of the, just the greatest female character that you could ever be, as opposed to some of us do make other choices for many, many other reasons, and that doesn't make us less feminist for doing so. Absolutely not. Um, yes. And, you know, and I, I feel that uh, maybe doubly because I'm African-American woman and sort of seeing the portrayal of us on screen and wanting to seeing us 
want to see us doing something other than being so strong and being, you know, have that archetype and knowing yeah. how damaging that has been to our, my community as a whole, black women with mental illness and things, not seeking help and doing the things that they should to um, protect themselves because that's sort of how they're viewed and that's even in our community, it's like, you know, we're the ones who hold the family together. Um, so. The one place where we do have a mother on Star Trek, right, Crusher, we never actually see her doing any mothering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, you know, I mean, there, there's Keiko, but every time that Wesley needs to speak... Okay, yes, Kalar, but she's, I mean, regularly on the show. Um, every time that Wesley needs to speak to someone about something that's happening in his life, he goes to Picard or Riker. He never, he, you never see Wes actually talking to his mom, who presumably raised him since his dad died all by herself. He talks yeah, to Carter Riker. Right, but you you have an opportunity to show that relationship. I don't know what's I happening. <laughs> I, I think to what you're saying, I think it's really important that we write characters when we write, that we're not yeah. writing ideology. Yeah. That, that yeah. When, when we write, otherwise we have, yeah. otherwise we end up having like communist propaganda operas <laughs> from you know, the Chinese. You've seen this, maybe. But I, I think it's really important to have characters who do have flaws, who do have problems. But I, I think that we also have to not be as sloppy as we are sometimes. Like, mm -hmm. like I don't know if you've, you've just seen the new Walking Dead Fear. We, we were just having the discussion of this, that we've had three black characters and all three have died in two episodes. And nobody, and nobody in a meeting says, hey, we've got, we've got, yeah. I get that, and you know, I have a joke with my friends that we call that like, it's um, or Johnson yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, he's the first to go. He's the black guy. We just killed off first. And it's so typical horror. I get yeah. that. I really, yeah. really do. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, well, we need at the same time, I don't think we can make or expect right. writers and producers and everyone to make something or the archetype that we wish we could yeah. see. But we, we could expect them to kind of let go of certain tropes that we see over and over again, and incompetent, showing women who are incompetent, and doing things that men are competent at. Showing them, you know, one of the brilliant things about Alien is that we've got a woman who was cast in a role that was just a role. Yes. And I think that that's what feminism is, is that we cast people in in character roles instead of saying, well, this is what a woman does and this is what we're going to put but in this role. at the same time, in, you know, in, in defense of Esri, who I wasn't a big fan of, <laughs> at, the at least it's, that happens too. Yeah. yeah. That happens yeah. where women are, you know, in you should be allowed to not reason? be competent. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because she's exactly. a woman. And that goes back to, to, at least to me, to the sort of African-American stereotype that we're already yeah. strong. You should be allowed to not be strong. Not you know, be we strong. got it. Don't worry. Yeah. Our kids are not. You know, that sort of thing is that we've got shit. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. if Esri was a male it character, a it would be fine that he's not strong. <laughs> yeah. And I think we saw some progression with Esri from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Like, who wouldn't be all jacked up in the head? Totally. The just mm -hmm. to the, I, uh, I just don't think they... Towards the end. And while I get in the overarching and overriding, like, this is what we see all the time, 
I didn't. You had to give credit to her character. Oh, absolutely. That she got to that. That's what I was trying to say. Like that story idea of trying to figure all of that out is fascinating. Yeah. But they didn't. They didn't serve it well. They didn't yeah. explore that with her as much as they could have. But I think it's really... No, they didn't. And that's be because all of that other stuff was going on in DS9. See, the thing is, even though we're finding so many things that, you know, we wish, oh, this could have happened or that, like, every single thing that we've come up with about every single character, it has still, that character has still reached out and touched someone. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's just really amazing to me how, like, you know, oh, yes, we wish, you know, for the future we want, you know, this or that, and we look forward to these days but even amongst all of that you know we can like criticize all we want but these women have still managed to be completely amazing and like even as flawed as some yes yes, yes. <laughs> so we that, are that, proper like having any representation at all is so important is because even though it's flawed it's there at least yeah yes. and, and you can have somebody connect with each moment or whatever yeah. I think yeah. what it comes down to is um, we care about Star Trek and we care about how people are portrayed on Star Trek because it matters. It, you know, the way you see yourself in media and the way other people are portrayed in media, like this whole trope that black women can't be vulnerable, that sort of thing, um, is, is really damaging. The, the only way to combat that is to have so many different versions of women that every, or, you know, women, LGBT, everything, every kind of person, so we don't have to hang our hopes on, you know, these very few, one. and then break them down to yeah. a handful of airplanes. Perfect. Uh, we are three minutes over, so thank everybody for coming. Great uh, us in the app. Give to the charity. We have cards up here if you want to take them for the show, and we'll hang out for a few minutes if you want to talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Yeah, so that was our panel. It rocked. If you want to help us get to more conventions, you can help us out by donating through the Women at Warp Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash women at warp and that's what's helping us record panels that helped us purchase the recorders we needed that's helping us get to star trek las vegas next year for the 50th anniversary and um every little bit helps and thank you so much for those of you who have donated and it was great sharing our panel from dragon con with you but this is just one of the many things being discussed on the trek fm network recently so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And the Slaver Weapon's the only episode of the original with uh, no Kirk in it. No, nope, not there no yet. Spoilers, jeez. Wait, there's no Kirk in that one? I, I, no. I didn't even know. I'm going to have to it, check that it out. It completely takes place starting off with the shuttlecraft and only the people that are in the shuttle. Earl Grey. Contraction free at Soon's Guarantee. <laughs> I've got to get married? <laughs> no. The Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently, the Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward, because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? <laughs> to the journey it's it's so average american it's like joe smith
And no offense to Joe Smith, it's just I could have tried a little harder. I mean, come on. Might as well call her Jane Doe. So far, not off to a good start. So far, I'm judging you, Shark. Give me a moment. Give me a moment. Commentary, Trek stars. He just went into so much research about the details of putting together like the historical context of this show that it was really sort of astounding. The 602 Club. The young adult novels have their own um, framing devices that tie in to The Force Awakens. And I think that if they had uh, put those front and center, maybe even expanded one of them uh, or what have you, I think that would have served the strategy better. I definitely do. Literary treks. Well, that really is the bottom line, you know. And and I think it's particularly uh, difficult with this group of characters because in some ways you're looking at folks who literally are the brightest and the best, right? So um, in some ways we need them not to have feet of clay. We need them to be so much better and stronger than we are so that we have something to shoot for. Women at Warp. There's always a touchstone, and this was as close to a touchstone as they ever got with Pulaski. Plus she banged Riker's dad. (laughs) Oh, Andy. I'm sorry. I just think it's so funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. Thanks for listening. I'm Sue, and you can find more from me over at anomalypodcast.com. And Andy? Yeah, easiest way for me is Twitter. I love the Twitter. Um, at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time watching Star Trek and then tweeting a lot about Dragon Age as well, which you guys care about, right? Totally. Totally. Awesome. So again, thanks so much for listening. And you can get more content from Women at Warp over on Facebook, Twitter, or at womenatwarp.com.